Why would we look at the subject of the servant, though? Why is that important? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ, just prior to his um, crucifixion in that um, night in the upper room, showed his disciples the importance of service. And we've got there John chapter 13. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was sat down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? You call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. And so the Lord Jesus Christ um, demonstrated, didn't he, on that occasion, the importance of service. And that came out in our first study um, where the, the people had got caught up in their system of worship and God said, that just means nothing to me until you start focusing on the fatherless and the widows and putting your faith into action. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ is basically saying there in, in John chapter 13. Now, back on that first session, we sort of did a bit of an outline, didn't we? And um, you may recall, and I'm going to say it again just so you, if you didn't, Isaiah chapter 39, the end of that brings the time of the exile where they went into exile and then chapter 40 is sort of when they came back. And so it's the section we're looking at or the, the passages we're looking at are in that section after chapter 40, sort of looking forward what God is going to do for his people. And really it's the ones that give us the focus of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and we get these prophecies of what the Lord Jesus Christ is going to do, although we saw the threat of the Messiah all the way through. But these servant prophecies all occur after chapter 40. But of course, the Lord Jesus Christ is not the only servant. There is another servant in Isaiah that is spoken about. We just want to spend a couple of minutes on this. And that is his servant Israel. And in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 8 to 20, we have a section dealing with Israel, my servant. Now, we haven't got time to look at the contents of all this, but, the, but God there is speaking to Israel and um, he's talking about things that they were going to do with the way that they would fail and the, th the ways that they would not follow him and the consequences of that. We're going to look at two or three passages. But what, we, or what I want to focus on, even though Israel was imperfect, they weren't able to follow the things of God. Within that passage we have recorded there, For I, Yahweh thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Fear not, thou worm, Jacob, and ye men of Israel. I will help thee, saith Yahweh, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. And so what I want us to take from just looking at these couple of passages that we're going to have a look at in this context is that whilst we have the servant prophecies of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our ultimate example, we also identify with Israel the imperfect servant. And I think we realise that we are not quite as perfect as we ought to be. And even in that state, God is encouraging his people. That God can work with imperfection. He just wants us to try to follow the example of his son. So we've got another example in Isaiah 43. He deals with Israel again. Um, ye are my witnesses, saith Yahweh, and my servant who, whom I have chosen. And we can see Israel back in the land now. Yes, they are a witness that, that God exists. A great testament. Yet he also talks about their failure there. But he says of, to them in that same chapter, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake 
and will not remember thy sins. And just again in Isaiah chapter 44. Remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for thou art my servant, I have formed thee, thou art my servant, O Israel, thou shalt not be forgotten of me. And it goes on once again and talks about things where they will fail. And then later on, or in the next couple of verses, he says, I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions and as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. Sing, O ye heavens, for Yahweh hath done it. Shout, ye lower parts of the earth, break forth into singing, ye mountains, O forest, and every tree therein, for Yahweh hath redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. And so just looking at those two or three examples, and there are others that we could go to, I think they do demonstrate the loving kindness of Almighty God. But yes, we have that wonderful example of the servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, before us. But we are striving and trying to be the servants of God. And when we fall down, when we fail, we know that God is there. He will reach out his hand to help us. He will blot out our sins. He won't remember them anymore. He will work with us. We just have to trust and love him and put our faith in him. So that just sets a little context so that we don't become too overawed, but we do have the example of the Lord Jesus Christ before us. Okay, so some of these passages we have already delved into at times, some components of them, but we're just looking at other aspects this evening, particularly in relation to service. Um, in Isaiah chapter 42, which is the first one, the one that we read this evening, there is a different way that this servant is introduced. Behold, my servant. It's a declaration. This, this is the servant I want you to take notice of. Whom I uphold by an elect in whom my soul delighteth. God is holding up this servant as the supreme example. When you read those words, does it maybe make you think of another statement in the New Testament? Does something spring to mind when you read that? No? Sorry? Well, not exactly, not, not exactly those words, just sort of the sentiment of saying God's approval of Jesus. Absolutely, absolutely. That's what I thought too, so I'm glad someone was thinking <laughs> the same lines as me. Okay, at his baptism. Jesus, when he was baptised, went up straightway of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying... This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. There is a declaration, isn't it, of God and how he saw his son. And we saw it there in Isaiah 42. Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect in whom my soul delighteth. And it goes on to say, I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles he shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the streets. So it's talking about things that he will do. We see some he shalls. He's going to bring forth judgment to the, um, to the Gentiles. He, he, he shall not cry out. And verse 4, he shall not fail, nor be discouraged, till he have set judgment on the earth and the isles that wait for his law. And so it's talking about the things that this servant is going to do or or not do, if you like. Um, but the actions of this servant. Uh, uh, and what's interesting is when we parallel them, because we've got the, the he shall or he shall not, but, um, and then over here, I am Yahweh, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another. 
Um, and this is God saying, this is how this is going to, to happen. And that, that comes from verse 8, that quote up the top. And, and we see that the role of the Lord Jesus Christ is to bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. And we're going to explore this a little further. Brother Warren alluded to this at the weekend. Okay, this is where we pick this up. It was the role of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring forth judgment to the Gentiles or justice. And we see that it isn't in Christ's own power that this would be done. It's not by his own, own, own drive as such. We see that God is the one that is giving him the power to do it. Okay, is an extension of God, isn't he? And it says, I will give thee a covenant for the people for a light to the Gentiles. So God is at work. And, and that's important for us to be faithful servants of God. We need to allow God to work with us. We're not going to do it in our own strength. God has to work with us. And, and the Lord Jesus Christ is the supreme example of that, isn't he? He didn't do it in his own strength. It was God working through him, showing us the way and the way that he dealt with people. And we've got there the um, bruised reed, the smoking flax, the way he might deal with people. There's that aspect to it, although there is another aspect where the bruised reed and the smoking flax can speak of Egypt as well. Um, you might want to just make a note there in your margin of 2 Kings 18, verse 21, in relation to Egypt. Right, just as a little parallel there. All right, but we see here that through God he was to open the eye blind eyes to bring out the prisoners from prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. So for those that were not strong in themselves, the ones that, God, that Christ was going to reach out to, God was going to help him do that or work through him doing that. And he wouldn't fail or be discouraged till he set judgment in the earth and the isle shall wait for his law. And we see here that God is doing this because he is the almighty creator. He created the heavens and the earth. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, serving his father, allowing his father to work through him. And really if it's appropriate for the Lord Jesus Christ that he, everything he did was by God working through him and then we've got to learn that lesson as well haven't we we don't do things in our own strength it's by God working through us following the example of the Lord Jesus Christ as we said we don't do anything in our own strength okay this work of the Lord Jesus Christ bringing the message of hope to the Gentiles. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Well, that's a little bit of a theme that does go through Isaiah. Um, we've got three or four or four quotes up there and then down the bottom, these are all the times where it talks about the work of Christ with the Gentiles. So you can see that it's quite a, a lengthy one there. Um, and I can make this available if you want this for your own notes later on because you'll be scribbling down. But I just had it there because you can see the number of times it's mentioned. Um, Isaiah 11, we've dealt with that already when we looked at the Messiah. In that day there shall be a root of Jesse which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek and his rest shall be glorious. Or Isaiah 49 I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. And again in that same chapter, Thus saith the Lord Yahweh, Behold, I will lift up mine hand to the Gentiles and set up my standard to the people. And again in Isaiah 60, The Gentiles shall come to thy light and the kings to the brightness of thy rising. And that's important because this is a message of hope for us, isn't it? Initially, it was Israel that were God's people. They'd gone into captivity. They were coming back. And they're back in their land. But the message that's underlying here is the work of the Lord Jesus Christ 
was going to extend to the Gentile peoples. And that means that we can be part of the covenants of promise, doesn't it? And that's one of the, the foundations of our hope, isn't it? That was always going to be the work of the Lord Jesus Christ to send this message of hope to the Gentiles. Brother Warren also referred to the Isles of the Sea, or the Isles, didn't he? And Isaiah chapter 60, verse 9. Surely the Isles shall wait for me, and the ships of Tarshish first, to bring thy sons from far, their silver and their gold with them, unto the name of Yahweh thy God, and to the Holy One of Israel, because he hath glorified thee. We see that the Isles is, seems to be linked with trading nations, doesn't it? Um, that, that's the language that we get there, and they're going to bring their goods. Um, that's the, the language there of bringing their goods to dedicate them to God in recognition of the fact that he had given them a hope, that he hath glorified thee. And again in Isaiah 66, verse 19, And I will set a sign among them, and I will send those that escape of them into the nations to Tarshish, Pol, Lud, and that draw the bow to Tubal and Javan to the isles afar off that have not heard my name, neither have seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the Gentiles. As I was talking about, the, the message of the gospel going out to people that haven't heard it, isn't it? Those that have not heard my fame, neither have seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the Gentiles. Let's talk about the, the message of hope going out into the distant lands. Not Israel, but those distant lands. Of course, that's the wonderful blessing that, that we have, that we're recipients of, and, and that will happen, of course, it will be the role of the saints as well in the future age. So this idea of the isles. And again in Isaiah chapter 24, Wherefore glorify ye Yahweh in the fires, even the name of Yahweh, of God of Israel, in the isles of the sea. And so these isles are talked about in all these other quotes as well. So you can see there's a, a bit of a theme that, that flows through the isles of the sea, talking about the work of the Lord Jesus Christ with the Gentiles and these distant lands. Okay. And so the important thing, as we said, this message that the work of the Lord Jesus Christ as a servant wasn't going to be done in his own strength because God was going to be with him. That's the fundamental point we want to take from um, Isaiah 42. The other aspect that we just want to briefly look at from Isaiah chapter 42 um, is... This isn't making sense to me here. You go over to the next slide. Yep, there we go. I think I've turned a page over before I should have. Okay, Isaiah 42. He shall not cry nor lift up nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. And we saw that in, in verse 2 as we read it together. And so that's interesting, isn't it? Because we're talking about this message of hope going out to the Gentiles, but it says well, it's, it's not going to be there yelling it out in the street. That's not going to happen. What we'll do now is just go over to Matthew chapter 12 and just see where this is actually quoted. Matthew 12, verse 9. 
When he was departed thence, he went into their synagogue, and behold, there was a man which had a hand withered. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days that they might accuse him? And he said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep, and if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. Of course, this is all about the Jews again being focused on their worship and their system of worship, not really understanding what God wants of them. And so Jesus says to the man in verse 13, Stretch forth thine hand, and it was restored whole like as the other. The Pharisees went out and held a council against him how they might destroy him. And so we can see that the, the focus here, what the, what the Pharisees are doing, they, they are rejecting the message of Christ. In fact, they want to destroy him. And so in verse 15, when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence and great multitudes followed him and he healed them all and charged them that they should not make him known. Okay, so this is the Lord Jesus Christ's reaction to that situation. That the, the people, the Pharisees, were not going to listen to him. In fact, their mindset was we're going to destroy him. And so Jesus withdrew. He still continued his teaching. He still continued his healing, charging them that they should not make him known, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry, Neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, a smoking flax shall he not quench, till he stand forth judgment and victory. And in his name shall the Gentiles trust. And so we can see contextually here that the Lord Jesus Christ would stop his message of open worship when the people of Israel chose to ignore him, had a mindset to destroy him. And so the focus shifted on those that would listen to the message of hope that was being given. And that's a little lesson to us in service, isn't it? There is little value in trying to proclaim the gospel message to someone that has absolutely no interest in it and in fact might be antagonistic towards it there's little value in that you are better off to hold your peace and focus the message on someone that's actually going to listen to the message of hope just a little lesson there no point in pursuing conflict and that's a lesson of example from the lord jesus christ and a stamp of approval by God himself. Okay, Isaiah chapter 49. So the next little section, verses 1 to 7. And we've already quoted a couple of verses out of this section already. Um, now it's interesting here in Isaiah chapter 49 verse 1, it says, Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken ye people from afar. Yahweh hath called me from the womb, from the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand hath he hid me, and made me polished shaft, and in his quiver hath he hid me, and said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. And so it's interesting when we read those three verses here, we say, oh, this is talking about Israel, because it says that, doesn't it? 
in verse 3, it says, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But this is one of the things, as we said in our opening session on Isaiah, we need to look at the language of the context to see what is actually being said here. And so we've got the the language of the context here. We have the things that are being said in verse 1 and 2. Yahweh hath called me from the womb, from the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. And we've already seen that earlier, haven't we, in Isaiah chapter 7. Yet therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. We know that's clearly talking about Jesus, isn't it? He hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand hath he hid me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver hath he hid me. That's what it says there in verse 2. Revelation, that picture that's presented there. One like unto the Son of Man, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Thou art my servant, O Israel. Genesis. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And the name Israel means a prince of God, or prince with God, or the power of God. And so the name actually here in this context is talking about the role, not the people. It is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ as a prince of God. And so this prophecy in verses 1 through to um, 7 here, particularly in Isaiah 49, is not about Israel, it's about the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? And so we can see that I think clearly in that language and once again, in whom I will be glorified in Hebrews chapter 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir, the Prince of God, of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being in the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. And so the Lord Jesus Christ did glorify God, didn't he? By the way that he served, God was glorified. And so the language there clearly shows, doesn't it? This is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. So, in verse 6 of Isaiah 49, he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant. For what purpose? To raise up the tribes of Jacob, to to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the ends of the earth. And so this is really talking about the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? And the way that the message would go forth. So initially, it was to restore Israel, Jacob, wasn't it? And then it was to be a light to the Gentiles and then unto the ends of the earth. That was the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Romans 1, we we know that reasonably well, I think. We often look at that in Sunday school, don't we? The principle of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then in Acts He said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power 
after that the Holy Spirit is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses to me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And so the language here of Isaiah 49 verse 6, we can see linked with this here in Acts chapter 1. Those I'll try to use colours to link them together if you make, make the connection there. So hopefully Samaria sort of links with the Gentiles because that's how the Samaritans were seen and the, uh, unto the ends of the earth. Fairly obvious, isn't it? Yeah, so the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, preaching the gospel the way that God had intended. And so that was a, a wonderful thing, this declaration, this wonderful message of hope that would go out. Okay. Verse 7. Thus saith Yahweh, the Redeemer of Israel, and his Holy One, to whom man despiseth, to him whom the nation abhorreth, to a servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship, because of Yahweh that is faithful, and the Holy One of Israel, and he shall choose thee. And so we can see here, wherefore laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you might grow thereby, if so be you have tasted the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone who was disallowed indeed of men. And here we have this man who would be despised to him whom the nation abhorreth. And that was how the people saw the Lord Jesus Christ, wasn't it? They despised him, they hated him. But it was that man that was chosen of God and precious. And he will choose thee. It's the basis of the choice. And so the work of the Lord Jesus Christ was that, that wonderful hope that would go out, that, that message that would be delivered. And, and as we saw in verse 2, it was by a sharp sword and a polished shaft. And of course we know that the, the, the sword is very effective because it, it discerns the thoughts and the intents of the heart, doesn't it? And that's what God is interested in. What is it that is going on inside us? What is our motivation? What is our focus? And what is our relationship with him? And that's what the work of the Lord Jesus Christ is, isn't it? To reach into our inner being. Okay, so that's the, the servant aspect there, the, this message of, of reaching out. So we go to Isaiah chapter 50 now. And Isaiah chapter 50, predominantly from verse 4 to 11... And he is described here, Who is among you that feareth Yahweh, that obeyeth the voice of his servant? And if there's one thing that comes out of this section in Isaiah chapter 50, it's about being obedient to the voice or the teachings of Christ. There is a little focus on the voice in here. And we see it right at the beginning in verse 4. The Lord Yahweh hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning, he wakeneth my ear to hear as the learned. And we can see that demonstrated in verse 7 there. The Jews marvelled and said, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, 
but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. But he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law? And yet none of you keepeth the law. Why go ye about to kill me? And so fundamentally we, we appreciate here the importance of when we follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ using his voice, one, we need to be obedient to the things that he has asked of us, but also the same is true that when we are teaching, when we have the opportunity to convey a message, it's not about our own glory, it's about being true to the word of God, as the Lord Jesus Christ himself was. He basically said that, didn't he? What I'm saying isn't my own opinion, this, it's, it's what God says. And that's what we should do. What does the God, word of God say about this? No one's really all that interested in what Simon Bennett thinks about the way we should behave. And no, neither should you be. It's really about what does the word of God say. That's our, our rule, that's our guide, and that's what the Lord Jesus Christ did. That was how he used his voice. That's how he knew to speak a word in season. Verse 4. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned that I should know. Sorry. It's the same verse, but another passage. Second Peter chapter 1. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received from God the Father honour and glory. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. And we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. We can see in that context, in that section from Second Peter chapter 1, one, it links with a number of things we've already seen this evening about the Lord Jesus Christ, but it also goes through to verses which all of those that have done first principles recently would have probably used as one of their proofs about why we go to the Bible, because it's the source of truth. That's one of the ones you would go to, isn't it, other than... What other one? Just This is just to see if everyone's awake. Huh? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Everyone is still awake, that's good. Or some are. All right. Uncle Steve said I've got to ask Kiria a question later because she sat at the back row because she wanted to be asked a question. No, it's all right. <laughs> okay. We continue on, verse 4, this, this aspect, because really it is the thrust of this, the message of hope. Verse, Isaiah 50, verse 10. Okay. Who is among you that feareth Yahweh, that obeyeth the voice of his servant, that walketh in darkness and hath no light? Let him trust in the name of Yahweh and stay upon his God. And so in this section in Isaiah chapter 50, it's consistent, isn't it? It's about the voice, the servant using the voice, but it's not his own voice, it's the message of God. And of course, Pilate, we know these words, Pilate said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, 
And for this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And so we can see the way that the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated that and was consistent to this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 50 at this stage, right at the end of his life. Everyone that's of the truth will hear my voice. And that's because we understand, one, the messages the Lord Jesus Christ gave in the New Testament and the prophecy here in Isaiah chapter 50 that demonstrate that, that this is a voice that you need to listen to. And one more. Jesus answered them from John chapter 10. I told you and you believed not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but ye believe not because ye are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And so isn't that beautiful, the way, the way the Lord Jesus Christ brings these principles together? It's the unity of himself with his Father. And here we are like sheep, and the ones that hear his voice, he knows them, and they follow him. And so we need to listen to the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ to follow his example. In Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 5, it says, The Lord Yahweh hath opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. And I guess naturally we might think, well, that's talking about, well, he was good at speaking, you know, he had the voice, the tongue of the learned, now he's a good listener. That's sort of the idea that we, we might get maybe from that. But does have another aspect to it. In Psalm 40, verse 6 to 8, it says, Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering thou hast not required. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written on me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. And the idea of opening the ear is really about the ear being pierced and really we get that sense from Exodus chapter 12. And it's to do with a servant. If they're by a Hebrew servant, six years he will serve and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. And if his master had given him a wife, and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. And so he had that choice. He could go, he could be a free man again, no longer a servant. But... In verse 5, And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him out unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door, or unto the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. And so the idea of opening the ear, Yahweh hath opened mine ear, mine ear hast thou opened, is um, consistent um, with this section here in 
and drawn from the principles of Exodus chapter 12 of the servant that chooses to serve his master forever. And that's the example of the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? He did that and he's our supreme example, isn't he? That, that submission to our Father. And so the things that come out of Isaiah chapter 50 are really about listening, being obedient to the message and to being a faithful servant that chooses to serve God forever. And when you look then at the things that are said in Isaiah chapter 50, um, the things that the Lord Jesus Christ experienced, they are about his absolute trust in God. And it's, it's parenthesized by this idea of obeying the voice of God and delivering the message of God. And always that message, and always in the back of his mind, would be verse 9. Behold, the Lord Yahweh will help me. Who is he that shall condemn me? Lo, they all shall wax old as a garment. The moth shall eat them up. God would always be there for him. And that was always the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, I think we're going all right. It says in verse 7, yep. Yeah, will help me. Yeah, that's right. And, and verse 8, he is near that justifieth me or makes me right. Okay? Yeah, it's the work of God with the servant. Okay. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13 to 53, verse 12. Now, we've already looked at aspects of this already when we looked at the Messiah. But from verse 13, behold my servant. So we have these four servant prophecies and, and, and the first one, as we might remember this evening, behold my servant. Here again, behold my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. And then we just read things which don't look very high, do they? We've already before looked at this section at the beginning or on the second night when we looked at the Messiah and the way that the Lord Jesus Christ was treated, the, way, the brutal way that he was treated. But we're looking at it from the aspect of the servant here. So, so what, what aspect do we want to focus on just briefly out of here? Well, in um, verse 15, it says there, So shall he sprinkle many nations. The king shall shut their mouths at him, for that which had not been told them they shall see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. And so that's a little bit like the, the we've already seen the isles of the, the nations, isn't it? Those people that hadn't had chance to hear or see the things, they would be able to consider this message. And it talks about he will sprinkle many nations. This idea of sprinkling is interesting, isn't it? Um, I'm not sure which of the brethren wrote this section. I think it was probably C.C. Walker in Ministry of the Prophets Isaiah. Um, he shall sprinkle many nations. Second Peter 1 verse 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. 
And so the, the, the idea of sprinkling here in 2 Peter 1 verse 2 is of course with the saving blood of Christ. And of course the message that goes out to the people is all about the salvation that is through Christ, the, the blood of Christ, isn't it? And Hebrews 12, but you, also, you are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the ecclesia of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than of Abel. And so the work of the servant here, and I think we probably know Isaiah 53, is talking about that absolute sacrifice that was made. It was this section of scripture, wasn't it? The Ethiopian eunuch was reading from and that Philip was able to preach the hope of the gospel message from, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was the one that would achieve so much. As we see in verses, um, verses 4 and 5, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. The absolute service of our Lord Jesus Christ to his God. But what, what he did as a servant has that impact on us, doesn't it? That's relevant to every one of us that identify with him. How much was achieved in what the Lord Jesus Christ suffered as a servant. I'm going to try a little exercise here that... This worked with Erica last night. So hopefully it works with all of you. When, when we read together these verses from Isaiah 52 verse 13 and through to Isaiah 53, I wonder what words come to mind about the Lord Jesus Christ that come out in what we read here. Some words that come to mind, maybe. Well, not necessarily... Well, you yeah, whatever you have, they're, they're, they're not necessarily technical meanings of words or anything, but... Comparison between Christ, it talks about his and him, and he gave himself for our transgression. Right. Okay, so what's a word that describes that then? Yeah, yeah, sort of, yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah. So is it working? No, not, not, not as well, <laughs> so, but that's okay, that's all right. I have selflessness, but sacrifice sort of carries, yep, all right. What's another, so you might have got the idea now, another word that comes out, maybe. It's more an attitude. Okay, probably because you're really on tune with me. <laughs> okay, the words I had were selflessness, and the last one's probably not so obvious. Selflessness, obedience. Did he do these things unwillingly? We see the language there, don't we? That he was um, in verse six. 
we're like sheep that go astray, turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord Jesus Christ is different to that. Where is it in here? Yeah, verse 7. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before a shearer is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was obedient, wasn't he? And that also demonstrates humility as well, doesn't it? I think Brother Warren referred to this also at the weekend. Why did I have the word joy there, do you think? That's right, I was looking for the qualities, yes. Words that demonstrate qualities, yes. Yes, the qualities, okay, which are selflessness, obedience, humility. Why do I have joy there? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Looking to yeah, we are, we are. We're back on back on track here. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. And the Lord Jesus Christ experiencing those things as he did, yes, it wasn't a, a pleasant experience, it was horrible. We saw in, in the study that we looked at earlier on that he was disfigured beyond how a man should look. And we got there also from Philippines. He made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, being found in fashion as man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so we can see the Lord Jesus Christ talked about as a servant, humble and obedient. And yet joy, joy of that which is to come was the driving force him and the example for all of us. Isaiah 53 verse 11 and 12. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. This is the righteous servant, the one that is made right. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors and bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And so we see that the Lord Jesus Christ suffered to the very end. Yet before him was that wonderful vision of the future. Because he poured out his soul unto death, because he was numbered with the transgressors, in verse 12, therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because of that, there is a hope in the future. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us unto our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And isn't that language a parallel to God saying, I will divide him a portion with the great and divide the spoil with the strong. That wonderful time to come when our Lord will reign and we, God willing, will be made as a kingdom of priests that will reign with him in that wonderful kingdom.
So we're so thankful for our servant before us and we pray that we've been encouraged by the things that we have considered this evening but also understanding as we set out from the beginning that yes we do fall short, yes we do fail but God is there to help us, to reach out his hand to us, to blot out our transgressions and to cover them as a cloud. So thank you for that, brothers and sisters and young people.